All right. We are back for another Mind Over Money show where we learn new life hacks on our way to making a fatter wallet and more knowledgeable financial decisions. Today, we have legal expert David Carter on with us, and we're going to chat about, you know, all kinds of legal stuff, um, some estate planning wills. Uh, David, welcome to Mind Over Money. Um, I want to start with, you know, the purpose of this show is to get people thinking about things and, you know, there are money related. And let's be honest, everything in life is money related. You, you, in you, some way. Uh, you wake up in the morning and what do you do? You take a shower. Well, that costs you money. Why? Because you got to run water and then you get yourself right. a cup of coffee and that costs you money. And a lot of times there are big financial decisions and conversations they need to have that they just put off. And one of them is things like, do I need a will? What kind of documents do I need? So let's let's start there. What what's the basic stuff that someone should have? The average person should have. Well, let me uh, let me go back to what you just said a second ago about money sort of being the driver of everything. I would modify that a little bit and say that it's actually staying in control of what you've worked so hard for that drives it. And money is one of the ways that you stay in control of it. So having a fat wallet allows you to exert more control over your life and the things that happen to you. Estate planning is the same way. Uh, if you're like most of my clients, you've worked your entire lives to build a nest egg, maybe you've built your own business. Uh, when you've done that, you've done everything, checked every box to stay in control of that business and in control of your taxes, of your life, of your payments, college tuition, whatever it is, you've done so much to do that. Estate planning is the next step of staying in control of how your assets are handled uh, as you transition from you know where we are now to possibly being disabled or, or and then possibly dying. Now, I shouldn't say possibly dying. The rate of death in the United States is 100 percent for I think everybody. We're all going to die at some point, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no one's made it out of this life alive. Um, but you know, planning goes a long way towards staying in control even when you're incapacitated, and even showing your family how much you love them after you've passed on. Um, your direct question was what goes into an estate plan? Uh, my first answer is that it's not about just having a will or a trust or a document or a power of attorney or whatever. It's about sitting down and carefully thinking about what it is that you have, what your family is made up of and what your concerns are about the family and how you want things to be passed and controlled onto them. So, uh, even if you don't do any planning, I always tell my clients that the state has a plan for you. Now, this is the ultimate definition of not being in control. But if you pass on and there's no writing anywhere, then there's a statute that says who gets your things. Your family will have to go to probate court. A judge that you've never met is going to appoint an administrator who may be somebody that you've never met to take care of all of your assets. Um, there's going to be some cost involved in that probate. And a probate proceeding is public in Georgia. And as we get more acclimated to video hearings, more and more probate courts are actually having video hearings on probate matters, which means everything you've earned for is listed on a petition that people can find and then discussed in open court. Um, if you're going to do any kind of planning, you can either have a will-based plan or a trust-based plan. Uh, a will is just a statement of where you want things to go after you've passed on. Uh, you name an executor, you name your beneficiaries, et cetera, but a will still has to go through probate court 
because the executor has no power until a probate judge actually appoints that executor. So what I tell clients is that, you know, even if you do planning using a will, you're still obligating your family to go to probate court. There's still a judge who's going to pass some level of judgment on everything that you've got. It's not really staying in control. Hey, um, let me ask you a question on that. So if um, someone comes and says, hey, you know, uh, my relative appointed me as the executor of, of their estate, you know, I'm in their will now. Um, you're saying they're going to have to go to court when when I die or whoever it is dies. They're, the executor's going to have to go to court to get certified by the court that they can handle that. To be appointed so and then as to take an executor, note. you know, what's that process like? You know, are, are is it a very difficult process or are, should executors be going, hey, I don't want to do that? So uh, the answer is that it can be simple, but it can also get complicated. There are five steps that every executor or trustee must take. Find the assets, find the creditors liquidate the assets, pay the creditors, then pay the beneficiaries. It doesn't matter what you set up. Those are the five steps that have to happen at a bare minimum. Um, complicating factors can be dealing with the creditors. Uh, creditors don't care about your family. They don't care about what you work so hard for. They just want their money. So if you pass on leaving creditors, um, let's say you've left yourself in a bad spot when you pass on, and you've got angry creditors, those creditors are showing up in probate court to make sure they get every dime of what they're entitled to. Um, another scenario, people typically name their kids as their executors or trustees. They don't have to, but that is probably 90% of what happens. The result is you have one child as an executor and maybe three or four other kids as beneficiaries. And it is entirely possible for those children to get sideways with each other because I'm sure you know this man. All of our kids get along so well all the yeah, time, right? They I, never I can't fight. I tell you how many how many clients I've come across where, you know, when when mom and dad are still alive, everyone's happy and you know we all get along. And then as soon as mom and da dad, you know, pass, it's yeah. like, wow, where did all this friction come from? Now it seems like the kids hate each other. Yeah, yeah, and that so that's another way that things can get complicated. Um, do you suggest then that uh, when people are creating a will that they possibly think of not assigning a child as the beneficiary just to avoid no, no, that not at all. the executor to avoid that? Not at all. Not at all. Um, for me, when it comes down to whether you do a will or a trust, you want to communicate with your family about what's in that document. What is it you've planned to have happen? Because you want everybody to know about it in advance. And the hope is that if they have a problem with it, they're going to bring it up while you're alive and then you can sort it out. Um, let me give you an example that doesn't work that way. My parents are approaching their 90s and they are children of the Great Depression and World War II. And as a matter of practice, they just don't talk about financial stuff with their kids. So I've been practicing as an estate planner for 25 years and they've never told me. Um, which could they cause call, problems. They call that the silent generation, right? That's right. They're That's silent right. for a reason. That's right. So um, that could cause it's not going to end up causing problems with me and my brother um, because it's not that big of an estate, nothing like that. But that is a common scenario that comes up because if your parents don't talk to you about it, they don't know how to resolve that conflict. And you're no longer there to be the referee on who gets the Legos today. Right. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, outside of the will, what other documents should be, people be, you know, um, 
a lot of issues come around health and who makes the health decisions. What other documents with the will or besides the will should people be creating to deal with their health and, you know, uh, things like power of attorneys? Let, let's chat sure. a little bit about that. Well, before we go there, um, we should take just a minute and present the third option of estate planning, which is a trust-based plan. Oh, yeah. Um, so a trust is actually a contract that you enter into with whoever you name as trustee. You're typically going to name yourself as a trustee, and you're going to have full control over all your assets during your life. Um, and then you've formed a contract with your successor trustee. Things that are handled by a trust, things that are controlled by a trust, don't end up having to go to probate court at all which means you avoid the publicity, you avoid the cost, you avoid the time, and hopefully you avoid a lot of the conflict. A trust also allows you to be a lot more creative in how you pass things on to your kids. So for example, instead of making outright distributions of money to your children, if that money hits their pocketbook, it's immediately available for creditors. Um, let's say you have a child who's going through a messy divorce and you die in the middle of that divorce. Potentially, the inheritance you left them becomes part of the marital estate. If you pass those things to your children in trust, then you can avoid creditors, soon to be ex-spouses, et cetera, from being able to reach into their pocket and get it. So that's the third option. It's a more robust option. Um, it's one that I recommend that everybody at least look into um, because it is so robust and so flexible. It just allows you that ultimate level of control if that's what you're desiring in your estate plan. Getting to your question, the ancillary documents that you have to have in any estate plan will be um, a durable power of attorney or a financial power of attorney. This is you naming an agent, somebody that you trust to handle your finances and your assets should you ever become incapacitated. Uh, you'll need a healthcare power of attorney, which is naming an agent to take care of you if you're ever in the hospital to make healthcare decisions for you when you can't speak for yourself. Um, and you'll need a living will. A living will is sort of the opposite of a healthcare power of attorney. Instead of telling somebody else that they have to make the decision whether to pull the plug or not. A living will is you telling the world uh, whether you want to pull the plug or not so that you don't impose upon family members that terrible obligation. So that document would describe, okay, if I'm incapacitated in this way, this is what I want happen or, you know, the different scenarios. That's correct. That's correct. You can either, you know, we're talking about somebody in a persistent vegetative state, somebody who is uh, brain dead. They're not coming back. They're in a terminal condition. And the choice is, do you stay in the hospital bed hooked up to machines for an indefinite period of time? Um, or do you literally pull the plug on machines and allow a natural death to occur? And there are some options in between that. Um, some people want to be taken off um, heart machines and stuff like that, but they want to be fed and watered until they, uh, until they pass on. Yeah. You know, so that's that's, sort, that's sort of like our, our older uh, viewers might remember the Terry Schiavo down in Florida case where yes. she did not have any documents like that. And then there was a whole court battle between the husband and the parents on what should happen to this woman because she didn't have right. those documents in place. Right. On the durable power of attorney, um, it's my understanding and, you know, because I've come across clients who... Um, said, oh, well, I'm power of attorney. And they think that, you know, once the person and they let's say they're taking care of the financial stuff because the person's incapacitated, they think they still have the ability to do that once the person's passed. But just for clarification, if you're a if you're the agent of a durable power of attorney, 
once that person passed, that durable power of attorney is no longer valid, correct? That is correct. Your agency ends with the death of the person that gave you that power. And, now, and that would be the same with the healthcare power of attorney as well. Both of those that's end right. at death. That's right. Now, typically people list the same person to be the trustee and the executor as they do to be the financial power of attorney. So functionally, it may be the same person that has control of the assets, but their role has changed and their fiduciary obligations have changed in that transition because of death. Now, what do you suggest that people do who may not have any kids or really any family members, you know, and they're just by themselves? Who do they make the executor? Who do they make the power of attorney? I mean, is there a way for them to get protected too? Sure. So there's not, let me take that back. There's not necessarily a way to get them protected, but typically that produces a conversation in my office where I ask them, what about your friends? What about your family? Surely there's somebody that you know who would step in and administer the estate for you. If they truly have nobody, um, then they can name the county conservator to serve as the executive for their estate. Uh, the downside to a county conservator is obviously you don't know who the county conservator is when you're alive. Um, and then the county conservator gets paid a portion of your estate when they pass on for providing the functions of administrator or executor or trustee of the estate. So you lose a little bit of the value that you might like to pass on to somebody. Getting to the point of what if somebody has no beneficiaries, there are a ton of great charities out there that you can uh, give your last assets to. You don't have to just let that uh, become the property of the uh, of the state because that's where it goes unless somebody claims it. Um, people also come to me and they want to set up trust for their pets because they have a beloved dog or whatever, and they want to make sure that somebody takes care of that dog for the remainder of their life. So maybe they don't have family, but maybe they have a pet that they want to be taken care of. These are all options that should be covered when you go to an attorney's office and you have a conversation. It should cover all these sort of parameters. Now, a second ago, you mentioned the county conservator getting paid to do that. Um, if, if you assign a child or a family member to be the executor, can they get paid to? Can you are yes. they allowed to get paid for that work? Yes. So when you draft your, your will or your trust, you can include a provision that says that the executor or the trustee will be reasonably compensated. A couple of caveats to that. Number one, you want to make sure the executor or the trustee gets paid for their time because these are time consuming matters and you want to make sure they're being taken care of the correct way. If people aren't being paid, just human nature, they're not going to spend as much time maybe as necessary. They're going to cut some corners because after all, they're not getting paid. Um, Number two, as far as reasonable compensation, there is a state statute that says what executors and trustees get paid. So if you want to default to that provision, that's just fine. But a better idea is to have a conversation with your trustee and set up exactly how they're going to get paid um, and be more specific about it. Because again, you provide them motivation to do the job correctly um, instead of letting it linger. What does the state say? Is it like a, a set dollar amount or is it a percentage of the estate or it's how a percentage? It work? It's a percentage formula based on whether you're an executor or a trustee. Um, there's money for if you're the executor, it's the amount of it's a one percent or one point five percent of the amount that passes through the estate. Uh, if it's a trust, then it is one percent of the amount held in the trust at the time of death, plus up to one point seven five percent of the money distributed out of the trust. 
Um, the problem is that it could take a trustee a lot of time to handle and to settle the estate. I've got one case right now where I have a trustee who's put in a ton of time, an awful lot of time, uh, and he read the provision that said he would be reasonably uh, compensated, did not understand that that meant the state statute and not you know, an hourly rate or something like that. Um, he's upset because he's not going to be able to claim the full amount of time that he spent on that estate because he's stuck with the, uh, with the statutory percentages. Right. Well, we only have a couple more minutes left in the show. Um, and as our viewers have probably been seeing for the last couple of minutes, down at the bottom scrolling is a website, yourlegacygoals.com. That, that's your website. Uh, you know, talk a second about if, if uh, someone is watching this and says, hey, you know, I, I need, I don't have a will. I don't have these documents that they're talking about. Should they go to yourlegacygoals.com? And if they do, what's the process? I would encourage everybody to go look at the website. There are a bunch of good materials for you all to look at that describe how I operate, what I do, and what I'm aiming to accomplish for you. Um, there's also a blog which has some uh, current posts on tax planning and estate planning issues there. Uh, there's a contact form. If you would like to come in and make an appointment and come in and talk to me, they can fill out the contact form and come in. Um, when they come in, we're going to spend an hour to an hour and a half, and we're going to talk about a lot of the things that we've talked about here, but more specific to their family and their financial situation to really be able to develop a plan. Once you know what you're trying to accomplish, and by, by that, I mean, we've gone through and really figured out what it is that you want as a goal. The paperwork is what memorializes that. You're not coming to me just for a set of documents. You're coming to me for the planning that is memorialized by the documents. And there is a difference between the two. Yeah. And, and then once, once those documents are created, and I guess, you know, the, the person signs them, I'm assuming in your office, they sign them and there's like a notary and, and all that. Right. And then what do you suggest the, that the people do with these documents? I mean, do they just take them home and put them on a shelf and forget about them? Or what, what no, should be the next no. step for everyone to do? All right. So your estate plan, you need to think of this as a living, breathing plan that's going to change to match your life and your family and your finances. Who I am today is not who I was 10 years ago. Um, I've got kids now. I didn't have kids several years ago. Um, my assets look different. I'm at a different stage of life. If you just take your plan, whether it's a will or a trust-based plan, and you shove it in a drawer and you never look at it again, then what you're going to find is that at the time when you need that plan to work, it will not accurately reflect where your life is. So you've got to keep it up to date you know, every two to three years, you got to take a look at it. Um, the way that I handle that is that I add my clients to a newsletter list. And then at the beginning of every year, I send them a letter saying, hey, congratulations for surviving another year. If anything's changed, give me a call. And I just invite you to have a call with me for 10 or 15 minutes and see if there's something that needs to change or something like that. The other thing that you really need to do is, again, don't put those documents in a drawer you need to give those documents to whoever you've named as either the executor or the trustee or the agents under the power of attorney. You should talk to the beneficiaries. You want to tell everybody that is part of that plan what's going to happen. Because again, at the time of your death, if you could look down from heaven and see what's going on, you don't want to see your kids all fighting because there's a surprise contained in those documents. What you want to see is them appropriately grieving you and remembering your life. And then 
Next week, we're going to deal with the legalities because we already know what we've got to do. We're not panicked about it. So those are the two things that you really need so, to do. So may, maybe have a, a family gathering around the kitchen table and discuss, okay, Johnny's going to be the executor. Everyone needs to be cool with Johnny being the executor, that sort of thing. Absolutely. 100%. There should be nothing to hide here. You want to make sure that people know what they're going to do and you want to make sure they understand what that job entails. Well, we're at the end of our time. David, thank you for coming on Mind Over Money. Um, we'll be here every week at noon on Thursday to talk about different financial topics. We'll bring on some great guests and try to learn some, some new life hacks uh, on our way to creating a fatter wallet. So we'll see you back here in seven days. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, man.